you remember the good old days when all you had to worry about was getting your homework done and getting home before curfew? Before you had to worry about jobs, projects, working, when you could long for a summer vacation and a winter break? Well, this is the podcast for when you realize that life can be hard. Hold on one moment. <sighs> Finally, he's gone. The last thing I need to hear is him plugging another podcast. Come take a listen to my show, Adulting Ain't Easy, every other Wednesday on the Journey into Comics Network. The following, the following is a journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. You're listening to Poor Entertainment with your host. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Andrew Bohr! Welcome, one and all. This is Poor Entertainment, the show that covers all of the things that you find entertaining. My name is Andrew Bohr, and I will be your host this evening in every episode of Poor Entertainment, as well as Poor News, the show that runs every other week with this show. Poor News is a show that covers all of the political news and international news and all that stuff that's not as entertaining. Like I said, I am your host, Andrew Poor, and I want to thank you all for listening to me this week. I'm going to apologize in advance. My voice is a little hoarse, and I'm a little sick. Uh, it was my bachelor party this weekend, so things got a little crazy, and alcohol and cold weather don't exactly mix, so it's been a little bit of a recovery. So I guess this is day two of Sick Week on Journey into Comics Network, the home for the shows I do as well as a bunch of other shows that you guys should check out. You can check out all of those by going to journeyintocomics.com or you can find all of your podcasts. As well as Podcast View, it's on its own independent feed that you can check out by searching Podcast V on Podbean and all those other podcasting sites, like I said before. But jumping right into the news for this week. It's been a big, interesting week for news in the entertainment world. And one for anyone who grew up at all in the last 50 years, involves someone's favorite big yellow bird. And that is that the big bird actor and puppeteer, Carol Spinney, is retiring after 49 years playing Big Bird, as well as Oscar the Grouch. Um, he's been that character since the program premiered in 1969. So that is intense. But I mean... You're in your 80s. You've been doing this for 50 years. I think that you're more than able to just retire, take some time, take care of yourself. Like, I am all for that. Um, getting into the article, uh, they put the news out on their public uh, Twitter account, uh, Sesame Street Twitter account, saying, uh, longtime puppeteer Carol Spinney has announced that he is stepping down from his role of Big Bird Oscar the Grouch. Spinney is pleased that his iconic roles will be carried on by puppeteer Matt Vogel and Eric Jacobson. Uh, Spinney said, Big Bird brought me so many places, opened my mind, and nurtured my soul, uh, he said in a statement. And I plan to be an ambassador for Sesame Workshop for many years to come. After all, we're family. But now it's time for two performers that I've worked with and respected and actually handpicked for the guardianship of Big Bird and Oscar the Crouch to take my alter egos into their hands and continue to give them life. For many Sesame fans, it's the end of an era for a man whose characters helped to define their childhoods. Spinney's five decades portraying the beloved characters left him in the shadows even as Big Bird and Oscar became famous worldwide. Big Bird visited China with Bob Hope in 1979 and even showed off his massive dancing skills with the Rockets and prima ballerina Cynthia Gregory. The beloved bird who stands more than 8 feet tall has been 
uh, feed, uh, with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, celebrated with his likeness on U.S. post stamps, and named a living legend in 2000 by the Library of Congress. Spinney embraced his avian avatar traveling the world, appearing in feature films, conducting symphonies in costume throughout the U.S., Australia, and Canada. He even met his wife of 45 years, Deborah, on the Sesame Street set in 1973. Sesame Workshop co-creator Joan Gans Cooney hailed Spinney for his turn as the curmudgeonly puppet in a trash can, Oscar the Grouch. Carol's been one of the leading lights of Sesame Street from the very beginning, she said. His genius and his talents made Big Bird the most beloved yellow-feathered friend across the globe, but the sheer artistry of Carol is that he also brought Oscar to life and made him the most lovable grouch in the world. The role about Spinney, who is also an accomplished author and visual arts uh, acclaim, yields four honorary doctorates, a Lifetime Achievement Emmy Award, six other Emmys, two gold records, and two Grammy honors. His life and career were documented in the widely acclaimed 2014 film I Am Big Bird. Before I came to Sesame Street, I didn't feel like what I was doing was very important, Big Bird helped me find my purpose, Minnie said. Even as I step down from my roles, I feel I will always be Big Bird and even Oscar once in a while. They've given me great joy, led me to my true calling and my wonderful wife, and created a lifetime of memories that I will cherish forever. Uh, the show announced that Matt Vogel says me Street's puppet captain will take over the role of Big Bird. Oscar the Grouch will be played by Eric Jacobson, a puppeteer who has also performs... Grover, Burt, and Guy Smiley for Sesame Street, as well as Fozzie, Bear, and Miss Piggy for The Muppets. So that guy is definitely getting another famous character for his repertoire. So definitely kudos on a great career, uh, bringing two very iconic characters to life, and joy to children everywhere. So definitely enjoy retirement, enjoying the rationalization. That's got to be not fun being in that big suit with your arm always above your head and all that other rigging and stuff to bring something that large to life. So... Kudos. Um, moving on from something else that involves TV, and that's something also Nate talked about on Journey to Comics yesterday, and that is that Netflix has canceled Luke Cage and Iron Fist, jeopardizing Marvel's ambitious superhero project. Netflix and Marvel need to start thinking outside the box before audiences drift away or Disney steals them. The more likely scenario. Is truth universally acknowledged when a company or politician wants to bury an embarrassing story? It's released on Friday afternoon after most people have turned... Tuned out for the weekend, the practice has become so widespread is even as a name, the Friday Night News Dump. Netflix must really wanted to bury the news that it was canceling Iron Fist and Luke Cage, two of the four original TV series commissioned from the Marvel Cinematic Universe in 2013. Because news of the former broke first last Friday, October 12th at 9pm, and the latter didn't become widely known until f- this Friday night, this past Friday, at 10pm. Marvel fans should be worried the Netflix shows are not without their flaws, but allowing them to die would be a real loss for the genre. The timing is not great for Netflix, who just released the third season of the sibling show Daredevil on Friday, October 19th. The biggest problem here is that Netflix originally designed these shows to intersect, but has been inconsistent in doing so, leaving some storytelling feeling unmoored. It was an interesting experiment, but for it to successfully continue, Netflix will have to figure out a way for the various plots to stand on their own, and more interesting ways to get them to work together. If Netflix can't find a way to do this, Marvel's parent company Disney is liable to dominate the superior landscape on TV going forward, as their new streaming service becomes the much more family-friendly choice for Marvel starting in 2019. There are already Marvel Cinematic Universe shows on several different networks, most of which are at least partially owned by Disney. Netflix is the only non-Disney-owned company currently producing MCU series. This is due in large part to Netflix's unparalleled commitment to the Marvel community, as the ambitious slate of interlocking plot lines prove. The goal is to wreak an episodic movie franchise, but for TV, much like Marvel's Phase 1. Netflix's opening gambit featured a man in a red suit, taking on Vigilante Justice, the other shows simply echoed big screen Marvel archetype. 
Luke Cage was given super soldier serum, like the origin story behind Captain America. Jessica Jones was offbeat as Thor and Iron Fist featured a lead who most complained was terribly miscast, like Edward Norton's Hulk. Then the whole next link game got together in the Defenders and roughly formed a team like in the Avengers. The problem is, for all its success, Neville hasn't been able to keep up with the Hollywood. The Avengers was the highest grossing movie of all time when it arrived in 2012. In contrast, the Netflix uh, showed The Defenders was the first Marvel Netflix series not to even get automatically renewed for a second season. And by releasing no less than five months in the space of 12 months... Oh, and by releasing no less than five series in the space of 12 months, showrunners are clearly running out of ideas. Watching the episode of Daredevil Season 3, one can spot recycled plot points at every turn. This pro-prison stance echoes the Punisher that imagined it. Antagonists feel straight out of Jessica Jones, which was new, which was once new, it's started to feel repetitive. So what can Netflix do? One potential fix would involve shortening the seasons from 10 to 13 episodes to something more manageable. Too many of seasons have included what feels like two distinct story arcs, each of which run about six episodes long. The second seasons of Luke Cage and Iron Fist tried to move away from this formula, but Daredevil Season 3 once again reuses the format, which a classic pivot occurring in episode 6. Speaking of overused formats, basing the releases better should also be a priority. Even Marvel Studios only release three films a year, which is already so many MCU is regularly accused of saturating the market. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I know a lot of people have said that with Luke Cage and Iron Fist both leaving, that there's a possibility of a Heroes for Hire series coming, or maybe even a cinematic version of that, or a cinematic version on Marvel or on Disney's streaming service, which would be an interesting option if they made an MCU film, but it was only released on the streaming platform. That would definitely give someone a an opportunity to be like, "Yeah, I'd be up for that." Sorry, my computer decided to make noise for you all. But like I said, uh, keeping up with the Marvel Universe. And that is some interesting news that I saw earlier today when as I was preparing this episode. And that is that Deadpool is Marvel's next Black Panther. I am speaking, of course, the comic world. I think if they tried to do that in the movie world, there would be an outcry for fans of Chadwick Boseman. So. But, hey, we saw him disappear. Turn it up. Spoiler alert for Avengers Infinity War. So, Deadpool, if I know, is still around. So, yeah, maybe he will be the next King of Wakanda. Marvel fans have only dreamed of seeing Black Panther and Deadpool together in the movies, but their comic book crossover proves that fight wouldn't go the way you might think. In the comics, their showdown is going to leave Deadpool sitting on the throne of Wakanda. Yes, really. It's one of a bond to drop on unsuspecting fans, and has come before the first issue of Marvel's Black Panther vs. Deadpool limited series has ever even been released. But if foreigners get worried about the twist of the series has been revealed, we should point out that Based on the other covers and tease plot details of the series, the level of insanity is high, even for Deadpool. <coughs> Still, the introduction of Pantherpool is going to have movie fans drooling over the cinematic possibilities. As for the question of just what brings these two deadly Marvel characters together, the answer is surprisingly sentimental. When a friend of Deadpool's ends up clinging to life and requiring a chunk of vibranium to live, there's only one place in the world for Wade Wilson to head, which also happens to be the kingdom home to T'Challa, the latest leader of the Avengers, who is unusually distracted on the edge of a scientific breakthrough. Sort of dragged, it seems, that the throne of Wakanda winds up under Deadpool's gloating gluteus. Take a look. Which you can't obviously see because it's a podcast. And it looks like a very Wakanda... Not Wakanda. A very Black Panther-looking Deadpool suit, complete with 
ears and the claws and the hands, but still very Deadpool in terms of the eyes, the katanas, um, the belt. But he's sitting on the throne of Wakanda with three black, no, four black panthers sitting around him. So that's definitely a pretty neat looking cover. So we'll have to see what involves from this. Um, that is Mystery of Deadpool's place of as well as Deadpoolified Black Panther suit speaks for itself. But what makes the story even more exciting is the tease of the victim clinging to life. The one that Deadpool is hunting for a brand to save isn't just beloved by the Merc of the Mouth. Yes, even though the Avengers gave Deadpool an R-rated beating in his own series, the rest of the Marvel's heroes may actually be on his side in this conflict. Apparently Deadpool and Captain America ended their romantic comedy dispute peacefully. If anyone's guessed how Deadpool manages to sneak T'Challa's throne out of out from under him, or how severely Black Panther beats Wade Wilson before he does it, all I know is that this series from late show writer Daniel Kibblesmith just got a lot more interesting. Both for the comics and the Marvel movie universe, after all, this MC version of Black Panther's throne Deadpool is sitting on. Oh, that is true. If you look at that picture. So, man, that would be a really weird, but that would probably anger a lot of people. So... We'll have to see, but definitely, if you're interested in knowing about the story, definitely go to your local comic book store and pick up the issues. Because it looks like that series is about to come out, if not this Wednesday, probably the following Wednesday. And it looks like it's about a five-issue run, so definitely, it's a few bucks. It's less than the price of a pack of cigarettes or a cup of coffee, depending on what you drink or smoke. So, yeah. And keeping in the world of entertainment, this is kind of something that kind of blends the space between TV and movies, and that involves the Mark Twain Prize, which is usually given to a famous comedian like Will Ferrell has won it, David Letterman, there's been countless other comedic actors like Steve Martin and Bill Murray and all of them. So the latest winner is Julia Louise Dreyfus, who you would know as Elaine from Seinfeld. She's also starred on Veep and has done uh, bit parts on movies and other TV shows over her illustrious career. And this is an article from the USA Today, and that involves some of the best burns from that night. So Julia Louis-Dreyfus walked away with the Mark Twain Prize and a pretty good roasting by her fellow celebrities at the Kennedy Center on Sunday. Famous faces Jerry Seinfeld, Tina Fey, Stephen Colbert, Brian Cranston, Lisa Kudrow, Tony Hale, Kumal Nanjiani, Keegan-Michael Key, uh, Lana Glazer, Abby Jacobson, and singer Jack Johnson were on hand to pay tribute to Louis-Dreyfus. Colbert kicked things off by highlighting one of Louise Dreyfus' lesser-known roles. He says, We're going to hear a lot tonight about our characters like Elaine from Seinfeld and Old Christine from the New Adventures of Old Christine. But I want to talk about another performance, one that truly speaks to me, the late show host said. But it speaks to a lot of people in this room, too. I'm talking about Julia's turn as Jeanette Cooper in 1986, Troll. Some of the big sick writer, star, Kumal Nanjiani, also reached back into the archives, pulling out a photo from a GQ shoot in which Louise Dreyfus appears to be hooking up with a clown. I'm seeing you explain this photo to your mom right now, Nanjiani assessed. I cannot believe it has not come up before today. Tina Fey made things personal. I've always liked Julia, maybe because I'd like to believe that we have a lot in common, Fey said. We both studied comedy in Chicago. We both lost our opportunity to Brad Hall, who is Louise Dreyfus' husband. After taking a beat, Faye added, Just me? Question mark. Faye continued playing homage to Louise Dreyfus' assignment with character. Julia made this bold choice for a character Elaine to wear long, loose dresses, flat shoes, and oversized coats, and a center barrette. Julia was letting us know that she was the real deal, comedy-wise, and she didn't need us to give us midriff for us to watch her work. Because, here's the secret, Julia's not afraid to be unlikable, not on screen and not in person. Just try sharing an elevator with her. Larry Dave was not there in person took jabs at the guest of honor via video message because he admitted he was kind of lazy. 
I want to congratulate Julia for this unbelievably prestigious award, the Seinfeld co-creator said. But I gotta say, the lengths that she went through to get it, frankly, I was a little surprised. The whole cancer thing? Cancer? Honestly, I gotta take my hat off to her. What a scam. As anyone knows, I've talked about this before, is that Julia's wife did have breast cancer, and I believe she's gone through the chemo and come out the other side and is now in remission. So, yes. Um, she's a great actress. She really committed to it. David continued. She almost had me going for a second. I gotta say, she's done some incredible acting work, but nothing, nothing tops this cancer performance. I stand in awe. More on what David said. Louis Dreyfus wasn't the only target of the evening. Some took aim at Bill Cosby and the Trump administration. Cosby's 2009 award was rescinded nine years later, following his conviction on sexual assault charges. So many greats of American comedy have been honored over the years, and so far, only one prize rescinded. Let's put up the sign. It's been 167 days since the last untwaining. Skip this one. Skip it, Michael Keegan. Keegan Michael Keegan costume, as Mark Twain said when he came across Cosby's name while taking off a list of past recipients. It's okay, he's not watching. It's not like PBS is the first choice on the moving picture box in the recreational room of this penitentiary. Face that her sights on the White House. By the way, everyone talks about all the parallels between Veep and the current administration, she said, but I think it's more like Seinfeld. Just a bunch of selfish um, expletive, which I'm guessing probably was Fox? Assholes? I don't know. Just a bunch of selfish who don't give a crap about anyone but themselves. Faye continued praising Louis Dreyfus while citing the powers that be. She's a tireless advocate for women's health and the environment, Faye said, and a bunch of other stuff that won't exist pretty soon. Once on the stage, Louis Dreyfus joined in on the Trump bashing. Unfortunately, the President of the United States couldn't make it tonight either, even though he lives in the neighborhood Mondays through Wednesdays. Louis Dreyfus poked fun at the celebs on hand as well. Kumal, thank you for being here. It's so inspiring that you were able to co-opt your wife's harrowing medical ordeal for an Oscar nomination. Tina Fey, you are a comedy genius who I admire, whom I admire of all humans. Tina was honored with a Mark Twain Prize too, you know, before they got real serious about it. But the best burns you save for a family. <coughs> According to Wikipedia, I have two sons, Charlie and Henry, said. You know when you're a working mother, you really worry about the time spent away from your kids. You try your best to be there as much as possible. The truth is, is that you miss stuff. And worry that they're going to just get all screwed up. And then you get to the Mark Twain prize. I gotta say, it's worth it. So, Julie Weiss drives, she had a little fun uh, accepting her award. And so did a lot of her friends and old co-workers or castmates, whatever you want to call it. Moving on from her to more movie news. And that involves a big box office, uh, big box office weekend for Jamie Lee Curtis. Um... As you know, she's starring in the new Halloween film, which is kind of a not a sequel to the original that she also starred in many years ago. 40, I think, or about 40. Uh, when you're really proud of something, something you just got to shout about it. That's exactly what Jamie Lee Curtis rightfully did when her movie smashed three, yes, three box office records. Per Variety, Halloween earned $77.5 million in its opening weekend and obliterated the franchise record opening of $26 million. Not only that, Variety reports that Halloween is the best horror opening with a female lead. In addition to Curtis's biggest opening to date, as well as the biggest debut ever for a female lead over 55 years old. Curtis shared the news in a tweet writing that she's going for one boast post. Biggest horror movie opening with a female lead. Biggest movie opening with a female lead over 55. Second biggest October movie opening ever. Biggest Halloween opening ever. Hashtag women get things done, she continued. So congratulations to her. I still have not seen the Halloween movie. I was, when it came out, I was obviously, I was at my bachelor party, so I had other things to do, and hopefully I'll see it this week. Maybe I'll get a chance to talk about it on Foodies. 
I know there's still, I'd still have to see like First Man and Star is Born and some of the other big movies that have come out lately and I just haven't had the time, but who knows, the weekend might be a little more open for me. So maybe I'll have something to talk about on the next Pornertainment or on Foodies. So definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, going on to another actor who had another interesting experience, and that is Chris Hemsworth gives a hitchhiker the ride of a lifetime in private helicopter. So, a musician who was hoping to score a free ride to Australia's Byron Bay was given the ultimate surprise when Thor himself pulled up and told him to hop in. Chicago native Scott Hildebrand said he had just hopped off a flight from Mexico when he thought he would try his luck hitchhiking from Brisbane Airport to the popular beach town. Speaking to local radio station Nova 919, Hildebrand said he, that within 15 minutes, Chris Hemsworth and a pal Luke Zoki had pulled up. Admittedly, that he didn't know who they were. Hildebrand said that he felt kind of unsure about the whole situation because the pair were filming the encounter. It was only when their black van pulled up to nearby helipad that the penny finally dropped. They said, we're going to make a quick gas stop and switch vehicles. At that point, I was like, oh, I can help pitch in for gas. And they're like, you're not going to want to do that. It's going to be like four grand for that, he said. That's when I was like, who are you guys? Hemsworth uploaded a video of the encounter to Instagram. Peter Hitchhiker wasn't a serial killer, which we were stoked about, and just happened to be a kick-ass musician, Scott Hildebrand, he wrote. So, I don't know if you can imagine that. I'm not going to play the video for you, because I don't know how the audio is going to be. But that's still crazy that you're just having Australia trying to get a ride to a beach, and then Chris Hemsworth just shows him, was like, let's get in my helicopter. Like, that's a whole other thing altogether. And... Speaking of a musician, Ozzy Osbourne has revealed uh, he had a staph infection and said the surgery was agony. This is uh, from the Rolling Stone. So Osbourne recently underwent hand surgery, forced him to cancel four concerts on his No More Tours 2 tour. That's a lot of going on there. Turns out the surgery was part of his treatment plan for potentially deadly staph infection. I didn't feel sick, so I was cracking jokes, he told Rolling Stone of his visit to the emergency room, which came after his thumb had suddenly swollen to the size of a fucking light bulb following a show in Salt Lake City. I thought the doctor told me he actually had three separate staph infections in his thumb, one of which had spread to his middle finger. Osborne from the doctor said, I don't know if you realize, Mr. Osborne, this is a very serious problem you have. Would you stop fucking making jokes? So I said, well, it's my hand, but they're all extremely deadly serious about it. I just based on the expression and the body language of the doctor, if he Comes in with some really solemn face. I'm like, oh, okay, my time is to go is up. That suggests Osborne could have gotten a staff infection from simply shaking someone's hand. Something the rocker says he does probably 200 times a day on tour and cut all this stuff out. Osborne said, even when the numbing stuff, it was agony. It wasn't pus, but it was the stage after pus when it gets into the blood and goes in your body and fucking kills you. May sound fucked up, what I'm saying to you, he was really concerned about checking my blood. Osborne spent almost a week in the hospital, was treated with antibiotics, and found solace in eating ice cream as he recovered. He was then discharged and told to soak his hand in a special soap twice a day for 10 days. Osborne rescheduled the October concert dates he had to call off. The new dates include July 20th at the MGM Grand in Vegas, July 23rd at the Mattress Firm Amphitheater in Coola Vista, California, July 27th at Charlene Amphitheater in Mountain View, California, and July 29th at the Hollywood Bowl in L.A. I'm going to make those shows up next year, he said. It could have been a lot worse. I could have been dead. So at least he has a good humor about it, and at least he's able to continue touring for... Maybe there'll be a, a time for a No More Tours 3 tour, or Tours 2... This time it's for real. I don't know. He tours a lot. But kudos to him. And wrapping things up, because I am losing my voice now, I'm realizing. And that involves some sports news for a game I actually did get a chance to watch. I don't usually get a chance to sit down on a weekend and watch a football game, but... 
I was a little hungover, a little sick, and my uh, my buddy was there, who's a big um, football fan and a bigger Bears fan. So we got to watch the Bears Patriots game. The so I got to watch the whole game, and this is kind of a little thing because I think it was. You don't think the Bears have a lot to do. They still came close to at least tying the Patriots or was then there, and it was basically that final play that you just like, oh, it could be it, but it wasn't. So they unfortunately lost. But uh, this is the ESPN article on a on that last play. So the New England Patriots' 38-31 victory over the Chicago Bears on Sunday came down to an exciting final play on which Bears receiver Kevin White hauled in a Hail Mary pass from quarterback Mitch Trubisky. The two-yard line was kept out of the end zone by multiple defenders. They say it's a game of inches, and that's kind of what it came down to, Patriots running back James White said. Patriots quarterback Tom Brady described it as a place on which you just kind of hold your breath. He credited Trubisky, who faced pressure from outside linebacker Kyle Van Noy for making a good throw. As for Trubisky, who was rolling out across his body to his left before planting his feet to throw from the Bears' three-star line, initially believed it was a touchdown. I saw a group of receivers down there. Kevin made a heck of a catch from my vantage point I thought it was in. Trubisky's impressive. He covered 62 yards in the air, and referee Clay Martin reviewed the play to confirm the White, who had who turned quickly to his left after making the catch in an attempt to barrel through Patriots defender Jason McCourty, Devin McCounty. Oh, they're both McCourties. Jason McCourty, Devin McCourty, Duran Harmon, and Jonathan Jones was stopped short. It looked close, right? I just saw him go up, catch the ball, and I just couldn't tell exactly where he was, how he came down, and with the, what the extra effort was, and then you could see on tape, we were just a little short, Bears coach Matt Nagy said. In a perfect world, you'd love to get into the end zone for that, but we were a little far away and into the wind. We were a yard away from tying the game. One of the unusual parts of this play for the Patriots was the presence of receiver Josh Gordon's defender. That's a role tight end Rob Gronkowski usually plays, but Gronkowski was inactive because of a back injury. Gordon's assignment was as the jumper, but his attempt to bat the ball down was unsuccessful. Gordon said it had been a while since he assumed that role. Too many people around the ball at once tried to even figure out what's going on. I wanted to grab it. Somebody else wanted to grab it, pushing and pulling and everything like that, he said when he asked what happened. He ended up with it. It was a great play for him, definitely, but fortunately enough, we were able to hold them out of the end zones. Meanwhile, Harmon, one of the Patriots' safeties, in that while the play didn't necessarily unfold the way the Patriots would have liked, one positive was that everyone knew their role. The Patriots had four players involved with the pass rush, dropping seven deep into coverage. You can't prepare every scenario, but you have to. You can have rules that you can always go to that always put you in a good situation and good position, and that's what it was, Harmon said. We didn't go over him catching the ball at the two-yard line, but we did have rules, and everybody did their rules. We had a jumper and everyone else kind of playing for the tip. When you see that everybody does their job and resorts back to their rules and plays by the rules, we can get a good play out of a situation like that. Harmon also eyed Bears receiver Taylor Gabriel as a player White might have tried to pitch the ball to after making the catch. Gabriel was trying to call for the ball, but I made sure I put my arm around him, too. It's the last play anything can happen. They had the ball right there, Hartman said. I said everything to make sure they couldn't get the ball into the end zone. It definitely was a close game. It was probably one of the closest of the day. I didn't get a chance to watch the rest of the games, uh, but my fantasy football definitely uh, had some interesting activity. There's a lot of games that were low-scoring for me, which is unfortunate because this is the week I was playing my fiance Liz, and it looks like she's going to kick my ass royally. So, what are you going to do? Sometimes your players that you pick for your fantasy just don't deliver. But, we'll see. I'm sure I'll play her again before the season's over. And since I'm really losing my voice, I'm going to kind of wrap things up here. 
So I want to thank you all for listening to Porn Entertainment for this week. We covered a lot of different news, which is always a fun thing to do on Porn Entertainment. That's one of the reasons I'd like to break up the poor news and Porn Entertainment, because there's some heavy political news weeks, and this is one of them while there's things going on with a migrant caravan and things going on internationally that you need to talk about. But getting a chance just to take a break from that and talk about some fun things, just more interesting news and stuff that... People like to take an escape from from the world that we live in, especially as we get close to the midterms and all of that. And The cat of my existence may knock the door because I'm keeping him from his food and litter box while I record this podcast is probably not the great suit, so I'm going to get out of here. Like I said at the beginning, you can check me out at journeyintocomics.com and check us out early at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. And keep looking at the of our shows. I believe there's a journey into wrestling coming up as well as... Uh, other shows coming like podcast free later in the week uh i'm gonna go because i gotta sneeze and i don't want to do it on the show so that'll do it for this week i am andrew poor have a great week